the Abstract Athlete Podcast, where art and sports collide. Welcome, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Abstract Athlete Podcast. As always, we want to say thank you to our listeners and sponsors for such great support. Any questions or comments, please send it to info at theabstractathlete.com. Also a reminder to listen to the other podcasts on the Abstract Athlete Network, the Abstract Doctors Podcast, and One Man's Ethos, the Tony Mandridge Podcast. Stop by our website, theabstractathlete.com, and follow us on all of our social media outlets for updates and news. Very excited about the podcast today as I get to speak with sports broadcaster, former voice of the Virginia Tech Hokies, entrepreneur, and president and founder of Lasers Ladybug Society, a platform focused on aiding mental health educations and treatments, John Laser. You can follow John on Twitter and Instagram at L-A-Z-E-P-X-P. You can also follow Lasers Ladybugs Society on both Instagram and Twitter at L-A-A-S-E-R-S-L-A-D-Y-B-U-G-S. Let's welcome John Laser. What's up? I'm awesome. I don't have you in the plug in yet. <laughs> this is truly insane as usual, just running around like a lunatic. <laughs> uh thank you for i'm recording by the way i always like start right off thank you for doing this man like because uh as i said we have a mutual friend the great parney um yeah and i i like i think when we talked the other day i believe we've met in parney's pub i believe oh we have to so (laughs) i mean you know um but i like i when i was listening um i think wes I think maybe would you go on with Wes McElroy like to break the news that you were leaving? I can't remember. I think that's how I heard it. It was like on Sports Radio nine ten, and and for me like it was because uh, of the world we kind of playing with at the Abstract Athlete, like you know talking about creativity and physical activity in terms of mental health and wellness and health in general and stuff, and to, to learn that you were like leaving being the voice of the Hokies to step into um, a mental health world. And you've actually started your own business of 501 C three. And, and so I want to get into that, but like, just like the process of how it kind of happened and um, you know, like it's been fun kind of like reading up on you and, and different things. And, and cause I figured like, I guess in my head, I figured becoming you know like you've done a lot of announcing for all major sports like baseball basketball football like you worked with the vikings you've done baseball like double a triple did you triple i can't remember but you've done you've done like all kinds of sports and in my head i was like this has got to be like a dream job which i think one of the things i read said you know it's like it's a really hard thing to leave this but at the same time like i'm excited about what the future is bringing so like, I think there's like a lot to unpack of sorts, but, um, and I don't know if there's a question in that, but there's just, I, you know, I'm like, I'm excited to hear about that kind of process and, and really to promote what you're doing now, because you've already started, um, doing events. Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, it's great to be with you, Ron. Yeah. I think 
you know, the more that I've thought about it, and I know that my departure from Virginia Tech in a lot of ways seemed abrupt, particularly to the public and, and those that don't know me personally, you know, people that do and my friends and my family, I, I don't think they were nearly as surprised by that decision or surprised by that departure, because I think honestly, it, it started for me in terms of changing of my ambition back when my dad passed, which was in late September of 2019. And what I noticed when that happened was that I just experienced a ton of regret at all the things that I had missed, not just with him, but spending so much of my adult life away from my family, really living nowhere near anybody else. You know, my mom's the same age as he was uh, and didn't want to replicate that mistake. And, and also, you know, when my dad's work was in addiction space and mental health space and all those things, I've been around it all my life. I've suffered from it all my life. And it's not that I made any sort of snap decision when he died. It was just that I realized he was such an extraordinary person and widely considered the best at what he did in the world that I think there was some place in my mind where I felt like I needed to match that. It wasn't the same field, but it was sports casting and it wasn't enough to be successful. It wasn't enough to have that dream job. I really wanted to stand out as the best. And once I, you know, it's not that he was pushing me to that. It was more of an internal pressure, but once he wasn't there, uh, that drive in me to call games and to be in athletics just wasn't the same. Um, and I had started thinking and talking with my wife about potentially making a transition away from Virginia tech um, and, and into something else. And then the pandemic hit and got furloughed and, you know, all of a sudden the security financially and otherwise in my life, like so many other people was gone and there was a, a fragility to it. And then we were just kind of hanging on for the next two years, really. Um, and then we got to the Clean Mountain Air Initiative, which was something that we co-authored, my wife and I, and, and the response to that from not just fans, but the student athletes and coaches and administrators and people uh, all throughout Hokie Nation was just incredible. And, and I realized that the impact there is so much broader and so much more substantial, I think, than just authoring, uh, you know, a great touchdown call, one that gets remembered. And I don't get me wrong, I love doing that. It, it was my life's passion. I'll get back to it at some point. But um, just to have those personal connections. And then when the football season ended as sourly as it did, and, you know, a lot of our friends and community were no longer going to be there, including Justin Fuente. And I get it. That's the business. Uh, but it was just this big negative cloud that, I think kind of finally got us to the place to say, you know what, uh, it's now is as good a time as any. And, and uh, it was going to be a shock. It was going to be news regardless of whether we did it then or waited until the off season. Uh, it was going to be a transition. So we just pulled the trigger. Do you do anything still with Virginia Tech? I mean, I'm just sitting here listening and the Clean Air Initiative. Do you, I mean, are you working directly with, with Virginia Tech and that and the student athletes? Because one of the things that I don't, I mean, I don't even know if I, I, I teach at Virginia Commonwealth and I've brought what we do at the abstract athlete. I've actually started a program there called art and athletics. And so it brings, I work with a lot of the student athletes just to give them a space to be creative. And a lot of them want to be creative and they just don't know how, um, but it's just kind of this, you know, to use that stupid term, but it's like a safe space for them to, to be creative and, and, you know, talking about mental health and how this, 
this act can actually help your performance on the field or, and it can help your performance in the classroom. It can help your performance in life. And so do you work with student athletes directly? Uh, not direct. Well, I can answer that in two ways, not in an official capacity for Virginia tech anymore. It just doesn't work, um, that way, but obviously over seven years, I've fostered and maintained tremendous relationships. It's a lot of fun at the college level to see them go. And I'm sure, you know, this run from being young adults who are in high pressure situations to becoming fully functional, uh, adults and members of the society, you know, as the slogan goes, most of them will go pro in something other than sports. Um, and that certainly rings true. So there's been tremendous gratification for me in extending those relationships. That was long before Clean Mountain Air. You know, my LinkedIn is <laughs> just littered with former Virginia Tech student athletes that are now doing other stuff. Yesterday, I was on the phone with Sam Rogers, who's, of course, a Hanover graduate here locally and now a football coach and runs a performance training center and uh, talking about getting together on some of these initiatives. And his brother, Ben, is a part of that, too. So uh, indirectly, yeah, you know, I still work with a, a ton of the coaches coaches and, and some of the student athletes presently, but more in terms of the alumni base here. Um, what's been fun is to be able to expand that to beyond Virginia Tech, and, and we'll get into it when we, when we talk about what we're doing with society, uh, but we've actually decided to try to target it even younger. Um, you know, the saying that I've become fond of using is uh, it's better to water the root than it is the leaves, and, and what I mean by that is I wish you know, someone would have pulled five-year-old me aside and been like, look, man, you're not as messed up as you think you are. And so's little Billy over there. He's dealing with his own stuff, um, you know, and had those safe spaces like you talk about. And so we're actually starting with the Hanover Public Schools and directly going to funnel money to their mental health initiatives uh, to put more personnel in schools to have better training for that personnel to have better resources and materials. Um, and then hopefully that will lead to uh, more successful high school experiences and college experiences and, you know, being more prepared for, for college and some of those other things. And also, uh, I think I've seen a few of the VCU student paintings in uh, John J. Schwartz's living room. <laughs> <laughs> you actually have. He is the number one collector of VCU. <laughs> and the irony is like I had, like when I started this class it was before all of the NIL stuff and me being a former college athlete, um, I knew immediately to go to compliance and go, okay, at the end of every semester, I have an exhibition. Can they sell the work? You know, and they, and they actually had to go through some channels and make sure. And they're like, yeah, if it's part of the class, they're allowed to. And it's like, so in some weird way, like my business partner and I joke about the fact that we were thinking about NIL stuff and actually like NFTs before it word even existed, but it's, <laughs> it's, it was kind of funny like that, that, that whole thing. Justin Tillman, for instance, is a fantastic artist. Like, uh, mm -hmm. and me, he, we, we chat still every once in a while. And like, and I love to see like, you know, he's, I, I think he's going to be called up here again at some point in time. I hope like he's tearing it up in the G league. So, and he's, he's a perfect example of somebody that actually wanted to take creative classes, but just couldn't fit it in a schedule, but ended up taking my class twice. Um, because of that. And, he, you know, like he really um, appreciated that. And it's been, and like you said, it's fun for me to actually continue dialogues with these student athletes that are, you know, gone on to be professionals and whatever they are, him is still playing basketball. But I, I'm curious, you know, this is like, was your dad happy 
about how like maybe we started accepting mental health issues at the end. I mean, like of his life, like, because I really think there's been a shift and it keeps going up like, but within the last 10 years, but maybe even more in the last five, like, you know, like the Kevin loves and, and, um, uh, what's his fate football player. God, I can't think of his name. Um, but there's like, yeah, I mean, there's, there's just, there's a lot of athletes that are, um, really making it a focus now. Not that it's all, you know, again, this isn't all about athletes per se, but I think just in general, like, because so many people look up to them that when they say it, it almost makes it okay to talk about. Yeah, I think we've made tremendous strides just in the last four to five years in terms of openness. I know my dad would have been happy about that. Certainly he was on the cutting edge of that. And it's uh, why I've been hearing about it, you know, all my life, just because we were over in this subsection of psychology where, you know, in our house, that was completely okay, you know. Uh, But to your point, that has not been broadly the case. And maybe it was Calvin Ridley that you were referencing. I think what Simone Biles had to go through at the Olympics, um, you know, as unfortunate as that was for her, I think you can see her coming out of it, feeling even more empowered by the reaction um, that she got and maybe took away some of the fear of revealing some of those things about herself. And that's ultimately the goal. I think we've definitely seen that one of the opposite sides of NIL that I haven't heard anyone mentioned is that it's not necessarily a good thing uh, for the student athletes mental health and I don't want to get into the financials and are they pros or are they not and all those things Uh, but what I saw happening when we just started was um, you know in a lot of ways it wasn't the most talented players that were getting NIL it was the best looking players and that's not just uh, on the women's side it was on the men's side too Um, And I saw that, you know, for example, probably our fifth or sixth best men's basketball player had the most NIL deals because he was a, you know, good looking kid, whereas, you know, a couple of our stars didn't really have any. Um, And that war on them, you know, their joke about it and things like that and and do the things that young people do as defense mechanisms. But at the same time, it's just another aspect to say, why not me? Oh, I agree. I, I, we, we haven't dabbled in and the NIL thing is, is a business. And if we do, and I've actually talked, I have a friend that is, and I've talked to Ed McLaughlin and I've talked to my friend who's a uh, athletic director at South Dakota state. And I talked to a couple of coaches. What we would try to do is do it as a team. Now you have to do it as individuals. Cause if you do it as a team, it becomes like sponsorship and we don't want to get into mm-hmm. that. But, but I think that, that, that it loses the, it, it becomes about the individual. And we all know, like, sports is about the team. And so like it, it is like, I, I a hundred percent agree with what you're saying. It like, it weighs on them in a completely different way than, and then just being a student athlete, it becomes now you're a commodity and you need to perform. And you know, it's like that kid that went, you know, I'm an Ohio state guy, but that, that quarterback that went to Ohio state, never played, got like a million dollars and then went back down to Texas. It's just like, it's wild. <laughs> it's still like the wild West. And I don't, think it's really good. Um, they need to figure it. I mean, and I truly, I truly blame the NCAA because they could have controlled this. They could have done something, but now, like you said, it, like it becomes a popularity contest and it's just like, I just don't know that that's a good thing. 
Yeah. And, you know, in the NCAA, we could have a whole separate podcast of all the mistakes that they've made along the way to here. And the overarching you know, reason for that is denial for many years. You know, the model is going to work. The model is not going to break. The model has always been the model. Uh, and clearly, as our society has changed, along with social media and the freedom to express certain things and the ability to welcome, you know, everybody, that model is just outdated. And now they're putting band-aids on it that are not going to help its wholesale um, health. So, you know, going back to what it does to the student athletes, and you also see the transfer portal now, well, if I can't get an NIL deal here, and my teammate does, uh, maybe I'll get one over here, and I'll transfer, and it doesn't have anything to do with trying to get to the NFL or the NBA or Major League Baseball, it's kind of the pettiness of he's got more social media followers than I do or she does. And now there's that pressure for introverted kids to be out on social media doing things that they're not comfortable with because they feel like they need to have that image just like their teammates do. And it's not anymore, like you said, custom to athletic performance. Um, Not to say that all should be on athletic performance but now these kids are being pulled in so many different directions. And the, the blunt truth of it is, yeah, there are those rare million dollar deals, but more than, more than usually uh, they're getting free sandwiches or free socks or things that really aren't life-changing uh, in any other way, except for appearance. Yep. Uh, it's yeah, it's, it's wild. It's, I mean, I, I think back about when I was playing and just to, I couldn't, I mean, I couldn't handle being in school, let alone, let alone, um, <laughs> this shit. And, and so it's, it's just, I don't know. I think it's just, it's a lot. And, and I do like, I a hundred percent blame the NCAA for just really, like you said, they're just now they're at the point of just putting lipstick on a pig or, or putting band-aids on something they can't fix. Tell, so like, tell me like about some of the stuff. Like I also know, um, you have like the ladybug society, um, and, and like, maybe just get into like some of the stuff that's on the horizon for all of these things that you're doing. Um, because again, I just think it's awesome what you're doing. Cause I think really like taking, taking that leap out of something. And, and like you said, it's not, it wasn't like you've thought about it, but like to, to us outsiders, it was like, Whoa, you're doing this. But, and just tell me like that process of, uh, or, or like the, some of the things that the future holds for, for these initiatives and in, in the mental health space. Yeah, for sure. I, I think that what I realized was Virginia tech in many ways was a dream job in the fact that it allowed me to use, you know, all the skills that I've developed through my career, certainly play by play and being on the air is the most noticeable of those, but it also really teaches you how to be a chameleon in different rooms, you know, go into the American Legion and have a light beer or go to the country club and have a filet mignon and try to get the high donor money. Um, You know, speaking publicly, writing, uh, whether that be commercial copy or scripts or videos or just a column. Um, And it it pulled all those things together. And, And what I realized was I wasn't getting to do as much of it as I wanted. I felt like I was wasting a lot of my time on logistical stuff. Uh, You know, not that we didn't need to do it, but that other people could have done while it would have been more beneficial for what we were trying to do over here. So in the future, you know, we've created my wife and I, Renee, 
Lasers Ladybug Society. Uh, we named it that for a variety of reasons. One, um, the ladybug's always been important in her family. It's something that her and her sister have always kind of leaned on. Ladybug stands for optimism, hope, grace, uh, a number of those types of things, all of the which we're hoping to provide for people. Uh, it worked alliteratively with laser, so it's kind of catchy. Um, and then it makes for a cute logo, which will be good because we're going to want to brand it um, you know, as we try to expand that and, and to raise as much money as we can in, in the short term um, event based, we're hosting a pickleball classic um, lasers, ladybug pickleball classic in Midlothian, uh, June 11th and 12th. Really excited about that, bringing on sponsors and participants and just getting the ball rolling. We're going to launch an apparel line uh, with some t-shirts for both men and women and, and children um, and raise money that way. And then ultimately I think the goal for me Ron, is, is to write and speak, um, not just about my experiences, because those will become dated like everybody else's, but just what we learn, you know, through the years. And as we just discussed previously, the, the conversation has expanded so much in the last three or four years. It's why I felt it was imperative to do this now, uh, to be out front of what we could do before that conversation just continues to explode and more and more people are pulled into it. Um, you know, we wanted to, to, to establish ourselves within that philanthropic space um, so we can be as impactful as possible. Um, and quite frankly, we're going about it recklessly. And now, <laughs> two and a half months ago, I was the voice of the Hokies and preparing for empty state. Um, and now we've got a logo and business cards and a PO box and a 501c3 and we're ordering shirts and spending money like water. Um, so um, hey, you if know, you're going to do it, of, you might as well do it, yeah, right? <laughs> we're, you know, we're just kind of taking a leap of faith. And uh, that's why I moved back to Richmond. This has always been somewhat of a second home for me, having spent six years before. Uh, you know, when you know Parney, you're kind of in with it and everybody in town. And uh, the reaction already has been phenomenal in terms of people wanting to get involved and people wanting to help in a variety of ways. So I think we made the right decision there. And then we hope it mushrooms from here and, and we can do good things all over the country. Yeah. And you're, you're a Minnesota guy, right? You would you? Yeah, do, I grew up in Minnesota. Okay. Um, Cause I, yeah, I'm just like, um, Chris, uh, not Chris, Rick Spielman, who was the GM. We used to be my lifting coach at Ohio state. Wow. The weird, yeah. That I, that weird, like Minnesota connection, but I like, so I'm an, I'm a Midwest guy. I mean, like I'm an Ohio guy. Like, do you ever miss or think about going back to that part of the world or is this, this is now, I mean, obviously this is home, but is that any, any pull to that area ever? Well, I'd say I, I really enjoyed growing up in the Midwest. I'm originally from Chicago, spent some time living in Iowa and then grew up, you know, my formative years, high school and whatnot in Minneapolis um, and five months out of the year. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. But, you know, I don't want to simplify it down to that. But <laughs> the reason that I went to Arizona State was to get out of that weather. Uh, my wife is from Philadelphia. So, uh, no, there's not much of a pull to go back right now. In terms Summer of home. The weather. But, you know, I still have a lot of family, including my mom, my brother in Minnesota, my sisters in Iowa. So, you know, you never quite know what life's going to bring in terms of where we might need to provide assistance or vice versa. So I never say never, but for now, um, you know, this is the base of operations and it's been really rewarding. Uh, just all the people that have reached out from Richmond that you hadn't lost touch with, but just fell out of everyday touch with just because they got busy and I got busy up in Blacksburg and all those things. So I'm hoping, uh, you know, the combination, as you, you asked earlier, you know, to still do work for Virginia Tech. The only way this thing succeeds 
in the short term is with the support of Virginia Tech people, just because Hokie Nation is so huge and prevalent here in Richmond. And, you know, I can already tell from the initial um, outpouring of support from them that they'll be there. But what's also cool uh, is now you can pull everybody back in. You know, I only got the Virginia Tech job because of my work at VCU uh, and with Wes and with Greg and with Ed and with Chris Kowalczyk and with all those guys. Um, and also, you know, University of Richmond, Bob Black's a friend and, and uh, all those folks and even UVA, who's your welcome in the society <laughs> as well. That hurts. That hurts. He'll be a little more reluctant to join. (laughs) Do you uh, like you've done like, you know, going back into your sports casting days and, and all that stuff you've done, like I said, at the beginning, different sports, do you prefer one over another? I, I, I'm I'm guessing baseball only because I, I was just having this conversation yesterday. I think baseball announcers are so interesting because you're really like just storytelling, you know, I mean, yeah. and like where other sports are like constant and you're always having to pay attention baseball. It's just like, like Vin Scully to me is just like the dude, just, he's a poet. And, and so I'm yeah, just like yeah. out of curiosity. Well, I always answer it this way. I, I think baseball and everything else are completely different to your point. You know, calling baseball is not the same skill set as calling football or basketball. And that's one of the reasons um, that I was excited about Virginia Tech when I went there. I'd done some football and basketball, but had kind of gotten away from it for a few years. And I wanted to prove to myself that I could do both, that I could be at the top level of the industry, you know, as I mentioned, my ambition. ambition. Um, but yeah, I, I always enjoyed calling baseball. I think when you're doing that many games in a row, it can really become rhythmic and you can really get into a comfort level. That's how I was when I was in Richmond. You know, I didn't spend any of my day worrying about what I was going to say or what we were going to do. It just kind of came to you. Um, but I, I will, I will say like, I really got to the point where I love football just because the highs are so high, the lows are so low. You do spend the day like nervous about what's going to happen because it impacts your life, particularly when you're living in Blacksburg, you know, the team loses, uh, I'm going to hear about it at dinner, not because it's necessarily my fault. Although some people felt that it was, um, but if we win, you know, you can't, you can't buy a drink in town and it's the best feeling. So, and you don't know when we, you know, we were fairly average for the last few years. So a lot of days you went to the stadium, not knowing if you were going to win or lose. And uh, there's just a thrill that comes with that. Basketball is more like baseball in terms of it's more communal. There's just not as many people. So you can get to know everybody. Uh, And we really had a family feel in the Virginia tech basketball program that I enjoyed. You know, I worked out up there with the guys and was constantly at practice. You felt like you were a part of it and calling basketball is just being able to be quick. Uh, But actually you're, you're doing a great job and it translates well in highlights, but basketball is by far the least conducive to radio. If you're in the car, you know, not seeing the game, you probably have no idea where the ball is until we're yelling and telling you the score. Yeah. You just, you just missed my, my nephew is actually on the, um, Virginia Tech basketball staff as a video coordinator. I think it was, uh, was his name James Johnson? I can't oh, think. JJ, yeah. Yeah, he was with, oh, with his, yeah, with his staff. And so when Buzz came in, my nephew got, like he brought his whole thing with him. My nephew got axed. So I just, yeah. just missed that. He wasn't alone. No, he, uh, he went to Oklahoma State and OU. And then I think, Johnson, there was some overlap of coaching somewhere that that's how he got to 
I don't, I don't totally don't remember how it, how it all panned out, but um, got to go to a couple games and, and check it. I actually went to Cameron, which was like kind of one of those bucket list things to like go sure. to those things. But you know, like it is like, it is interesting. Like for me, like to hear like stories, I don't know. Like it's, it's that as, as an announcer, like I connect myself to calls like certain call, you know, like it just reverberates, reverberates in my head, like certain things. And like I said, Vin Scully's and, and like, uh, what's Buck's J- uh, Jack Buck, Jack like Buck, certain, yep. yeah, certain, like certain calls, like they're, they're iconic and they almost resonate more than the actual moment. It's like really interesting to me and, and thinking about, like, I like the way that you said it is like, I don't, I never put pressure on myself. It was just like part of the day. And that's like how it should be. Like, it's just like, I, that's, I literally, literally truly loved the way that you call games. Cause I always felt like you're just like one of us watching a game. Like it never felt like over called. Like, and I think a lot of people do over call. Like I thought you just like, you called a game, like, just like I, I was sitting at Cuba Cuba upstairs with my buddy Manny watching a game, you know, and I like that because it just it's one of the boys like sitting around watching watching ball and and I don't know. I mean I think that there's something nice about that. Real short break. Make sure to follow John on Twitter and Instagram at L-A-Z-E-P-X-P. You can also follow Lasers Ladybugs Society on both Instagram and Twitter at L-A-A-S-E-R-S-L-A-D-Y-B-U-G-S. Also a reminder to listen to the other podcasts on the Abstract Athlete Network, the Abstract Doctors Podcast, and One Man's Ethos, the Tony Mandrich Podcast. Now back to John. Um, I'm always like one of the questions I, I tend to ask people is like who are are people that kind of resonate with you? Like what you know, like whether it's like a mentor whether it's um, just something, that it, somebody that inspires you. Um, and it can be from anywhere. Like, it, you know, it can be an artist, for God's sakes. It could be, um, you know, an athlete. It can be, or it could be multiple people. It can be your father, obviously, obviously holds like a, a obviously a very big, important part in, in who you are. Um, but like people that like, I don't know, like kind of carve your path. Yeah, I think, you know, we joke around a lot about it, but Parney is definitely one of those people for me. And and a lot of people in Richmond don't know that I met him as an intern in Altoona back in 2007. And you know, we had a big staff and not a lot of the interns, you know, I guess had the gumption to try to form a relationship with Parney because he's such a, a big personality. And that was a small town and he was, you know, even a bigger personality there if possible. And he was in Richmond and I remember it, you know, he used to, after every game, he would have what he called a campfire or just a case of beer. He'd put it in the middle of the room and (laughs) we'd sit around and that's how people got to know each other. And some of the players would be there and whatever else. And going back to what you were just saying, and I really appreciate you saying that that's what I've always prided myself on being, because that's what I am. You know, after the game, that's what I want to do too, is go, you know, have a beer and talk about what happened and, and, be a normal guy. That's what I am. I'm, I'm an athlete, but I just wasn't good enough to play at that level. So uh, my personality is very similar to them and, and to the fans as well. 
Um, but Parney, for whatever reason, I walked in one night and just grabbed a beer and sat down. I didn't realize that <laughs> I wasn't supposed to do that. Um, and I think he was so taken aback at my naivety that he just, all right, you know, you can stay. So I just came back <laughs> night after night. Um, and, you know, we really became, you know, not so close that year, but uh, got to know each other and whatever. And that opened an opportunity in, in Myrtle Beach, which was their sister franchise. And then uh, I left there to go to Montgomery. And that was the best thing that ever happened to me, because if I hadn't have left, there would have been a non-compete and I wouldn't have been able to ever come to Richmond. So you just kind of see some of those things. But once we got to Richmond and we were starting to build the squirrels, there was just a camaraderie and a bonding together of of those folks, but more, you know, Parney and I lived next door to each other, which was uh, a blessing and a curse at the same <laughs> time the first year um, at the canal lofts down in Chaco Bottom. Yep. And, um, you know, we worked hard, we played hard, but, you know, people see Parney and they see the loud pants and they see, uh, you know, the showman and they see uh, the memory making and all those things. But what they don't always see is that he's one of the most compassionate people, the loyal people. Um, you know, emotional people sometimes. Um, and for us, I always say he's like a father figure, but he's not old enough. So he's more of an older brother figure, um, you know, and all joking aside, he was a big reason why uh, my wife and I moved back to Richmond, uh, just because we knew that we could get back amongst uh, his web. I've, I've met so many people, uh, impactful people because of him, you know, because he was willing to bring the the radio guy along that just doesn't happen. You know, there'd be meetings where it would be him and Bick and presidents of the raceway and athletic directors, and owners and radio guy. <laughs> it's just like, and you know, so he's really helped me be that. My dad was obviously one of those people, but so is my mom. Um, you know, same field, same kind of courage to go out, tell their story. My brother, uh, as a social worker, I think uh, the empathy in his heart um, has, you know, led us to some of these places as well. My wife is one of those people, obviously. She's, uh, you know, Northeastern and kind of will get after me um, to get <laughs> after other people when you need to. Um, I've been blessed with so many, uh, so many great mentors through the way, you know, I've, I've been really lucky with that. And obviously I've got, you know, the hall of fame broadcasters that I looked up and tried to emulate and all those things, but, um, it's more the, the people that you come across that you work with. I think that, that have that lasting impact. Yeah. No, I, Parney is like, he's a one of one. Um, and yeah. you're right. Like he, he, yes, Parney, we're talking about you. Uh, and I actually have some questions, by the way, from Parney, so be prepared. Oh, great. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, he, I think you're right. Like, he, there's, there's, a, I don't want to say it's a misconception, but people that don't know him, like, and I feel lucky as hell that I, you know, like, that I feel like I know him pretty well. Like, I, you know, I feel like I'm in the extended circle. And he is, like, he is so caring and, like you said, compassionate and emotional. Like, um, and I think people would be surprised by that. Uh, but I think in a good way, like, I think I, he, it's not that what he does is not an act. Like it's really, truly him. And he, he is like out there and like, again, like the loud pants and stuff, but like the heart, like he just, he gives a shit and we need more people like that in the world because, I, it's, it's, I, like, again, I just feel lucky a, that I know him. I feel lucky that the squirrels have him. Um, there's a reason why they're, 
you know, one of the best double A, if not minor league organizations around, it's because of him. And, and I think he creates that family, uh, you know, which I think goes back to kind of what you're doing in, in, in this mental health space. Like it's an extended part of your family in a lot of ways. Like at least that's the way that I'm seeing it. Like, and it's, you know, like even not, not knowing about your dad, like it makes more sense that you're really truly embracing people about how you kind of grew up and like what, what means something to you. You know? Yeah, I, I think we definitely found that in the squirrels when we got here that, like I said, there was a, a bonding nature of all that we faced when we got here. It was an uphill battle. You know, I, I actually just wrote a column for the Times Dispatch that I think they're going to publish in a couple of weeks in advance of the season. It's kind of a nostalgia piece on that time period and what people probably don't know, not just about Parney, but about that whole staff and how things had to fall together perfectly in order for it to be there. And I think now that they're entering their 13th season in hindsight, it's this foregone conclusion that they were going to become this representer of Richmond and, and fit in and do so much things. But in actuality, you know, a lot of us have come and gone and some have come back again and then gone again <laughs> and, uh, and gone on to do other things, whether it be here in Richmond or where else, wherever, but the constant has been Parney. Um, and the constant has been that community involvement. And, uh, you know, that that is because he cares, uh, you know, tying the two together. Him and my mom are very close. Uh, he flew to Minneapolis when my dad passed, uh, even though he didn't have time. Like he came in like hair on fire because, you know, he had to be there. Um, I'm not Jewish, but in our wedding, we felt like we wanted to do the Jewish tradition of hoisting my wife up on the chair. And <laughs> So we did. And he was one of the ones that had one of the legs of the chair. Um, so, you know, a lot of what you see is absolutely real in terms of his energy level. But I think what's been cool as the franchise has matured and, and those relationships with VCU and, you know, that he's fostered with Ed and in that institution and RIR with Bick, um, Dennis Bickmeyer and just countless other people like yourself as that's evolved and, you know, he has evolved. It's been fun. And I have too, you know, when I moved to Richmond the first time I was 29, now I'm 42. Um, I'm a lot different now than I was then. Um, he's a lot different now than, than he was then. And I think the, 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 the fun thing for me uh, is to see that he's a lot happier, you know, getting remarried now. His daughters are both grown and, and succeeding and they have such a tremendous relationship, um, you know, and his fiance's daughter, Maddie, you know, you, the way they interact, you know, you know, that's the third daughter for him. So um, yeah, it's, it's, it's been really cool. Yeah, no, I, Lindsay was in the art school, so I've known her for a long time. And I, yeah, it's, uh, it is like, it's minor league baseball to me is so interesting because I, there's, you know, and again, I'm coming from the creative world um, as well as being a baseball player. Uh, there's so much creativity in minor league baseball and what they have to do every day and you know, just every, every game has a different event every, and it's like, it's beyond any other sport. And I think it's so community based. And I just think that he takes it to that next level where it's so important to him to really create that family environment. And, and it's, it's, I don't know. It's just like, he, he, he just has done such an amazing job. Like, again, 
you know, we can gush all day about <laughs> about him, but it is like it is like I think ba- minor league baseball is such a family oriented, community based sport because of the 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 things that happen between innings and and before the games and all these, you know, like I did a pop up exhibition at a at a game. You know, we put up walls and put up artwork. You know, and it's like sure. it's cool that he allowed me to do that and. And, but it's like, you know, again, it it speaks to what I'm trying to do, but he promotes what we're trying to do. And, and it's because I think he sees value in it and has seen what we're, what we're doing as well. And I, like, I think obviously he promotes what you're doing as well. And, and those things I think are, again, he doesn't have to do that, you know, and he does, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, and I think that it's, it's it just shows what kind of a person he is. And it shows like, again, like I think Richmond is so lucky to have somebody like him in the community being a leader. And. Oh yeah. And you know, when I look back on, on my career, I owe so much, not just to him, but to minor league baseball. You know, when I showed up in Altoona in 2007, I'd had three jobs, um, including with short season with the diamondbacks, but none of them asked a whole lot of me, you know, show up, call the game. And as long as you were good at that, then that was really all you needed to do, you know, get to the ballpark at two, still a long day. You're not getting out of there till midnight, but um, you know, at the same time I showed up in Altoona and thought that was going to be the same way it was. And it just wasn't, you know, you're getting there at 8 AM. I knew nothing about Photoshop or InDesign or at the time page maker. Um, and I remember, you know, I was the number two announcer and the number one, who's also, was also in my wedding, Jason Dombach, Uh, you know, he tasked me with building a map of the ballpark, like a concession guide on Photoshop. And I didn't know how to use Photoshop. And I (laughs) beat my head against the wall for like six, seven hours. And I finally, you know, put my tail between my legs and walked into his office. And I was like, look, man, like, I don't know how to do this. And I just remember he turned around and goes, what better time than now to learn? (laughs) And, And now as I sit here, you know, there's so many skills like that. You know, I remember we were at, now I'm, you know, basically a studio caliber graphic designer that can do all the things for our foundation. You know, I just got done with our sponsorship brochure and now I'm designing a, a poster for our first event. Um, and all that stems from having to lay out the game programs and, and media guides and make advertisements. Still, a lot of the, the designs they use of the squirrels are things that Anthony Opperman and I came up with in the first <laughs> few years for pocket schedules and calendars and all those things. And, and, you know, being comfortable talking on the radio is a lot different than being comfortable talking to thousands of people. Well, I got myself in trouble at a retreat one time because I was mouthing off after a few beers about how I could do uh, the on-field promotion better than somebody else. And they're like, well, all right, jackass, you know, come down in the middle inning and you know, you're not on the air. And that's how the pony hop race, uh, started and, uh, might have to come back and do that a couple of times this year. And, uh, but anyway, it's just a culmination of all these different things. And when I took that to Virginia tech, uh, it's why I was successful. You know, I remember, talking to my boss there and we wanted to get one of those desks, the collapsible sports center desks. And it was like $12,000. And, you know, he's like, well, then there's a $2,000 design fees. Like I just can't pay 15 or whatever. And I'm like, well, I can design it myself. And he's like, I don't want to pay shipping. And I'm like, so it was another 2000. I'm like, I'll drive up and get it. You know? <laughs> so I designed it. I drove up and the guy's just like, Holy shit. Like, who is this guy? He's supposed to be the Hokies. He's supposed to be arrogant. And believe me, I was in other ways, but, um, you know, just like you say, that 
one of the guys type of deal or one of the gals type of deal, um, you know, that's really fostered in minor league baseball because nobody escapes the tarp crew. You know, the greatest story ever was um, in 2007, we were drinking in our speakeasy after the game and we had a promotion that they had started called awful night where they just intentionally did everything terribly. Right. And, you know, my last name being laser, but it's spelled L two A's S E R rather than L A S C R. And Chuck Greenberg happened to be there. He was the owner and he said, we should have a laser light show. And nobody <laughs> thought I would actually do it because they thought I was really serious about my broadcasting career, which I was. And, but again, after a few, I'm like, yeah, F it, let's do it. <laughs> so what ultimately happened was uh, they gave me a black sweatsuit. Um, the interns put hung glow sticks on me. I decided that wasn't enough. Um, of course not. And so I got road flares that day at AutoZone. And they took me out in center field under a blanket. And we had billed it for months as the world's first outdoor laser light show. So everyone stayed. It was a terrible game. After the game, everyone stayed. And I'm pack-a-day smoker at the time. So anyway, I, you know, they put on, it was supposed to be Flight of the Bumblebee, but the uh, song got corrupted. So they did Final Countdown. And I came out and lit the flares, and then I essentially did the uh, the Will Ferrell uh, rhythmic dance from <laughs> old school. Oh and I was God. falling down intentionally. And like both, you know, it's a special uh, promotion when the teams stay in the dugout, like they did here when we had the human cannonball. But they both <laughs> think they're going to see this first ever laser light show. And I just remember running in and covered in sweat and about to collapse. And you know, somebody shouts, "You should kill yourself." <laughs> And I'm like, I'm thinking about That's it. like a scene from uh, old school. Yeah, but then it tastes so good when it hits your lips. Wanted, kids lined up and they wanted me to autograph the glow sticks. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that can't happen in any other sport. It just can't. No, it can't. It's minor league baseball to a T right there. What's what sports did you play growing up? Everything. Oh, man, we played everything. Um you know, all the primary ones, baseball, basketball, football, very briefly. I was a really small kid. Uh, hockey, actually. That's what was I was wondering. Where I was from. Uh, played that for a while. Tennis, bowling, um, <laughs> honestly, everything. My parents, oh, golf was, was a huge one, still is. And then you got into the situation where you basically had to pick. Like, I had to pick golf over tennis originally, and then I had to pick golf over baseball originally, and then basketball picked somebody else over me. <laughs> that, that happens. Uh, so, you know, I've just been one of the, our family, you know, we played everything, honestly. My sister bowled in college. I, I wow. was the captain of our high school golf team. Um, my dad was a club tennis pro out of college. Uh, my mom's actually a really good golfer and tennis player. Uh, we were just very active um, and, you know, loved everything. Grew up a massive Cubs fan uh, just from WGN, the Superstation. And and so, yeah, those were the primary So ones. were you but crying in 2015? Or 14? What year was that? 2016? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, What's interesting about it is when you work in baseball, as long as I had, um, you know, you wind up just like anything else. If you work at the mall, a lot of times you're, you're not a fan of the mall like you were before. Um, But well, I worked in baseball, I worked for the Diamondbacks, Pirates, Braves, Rays, and then ultimately the Giants, but the Giants being the longest uh, here in Richmond for six years. So a lot of the guys that were a part of uh, the second two of their three world series had been guys that were in Richmond. They were friends, they were, uh, you know, golf buddies, dinner companions, whatever. And I found myself in 15, actually the giants played 
the Cubs, maybe 14, and I, I wound up rooting against the Cubs. Yeah. And I couldn't believe it. But and then once I got to 16 and then, you know, I got to that point, my grandfather uh, had just recently passed and he was the one that took me to Wrigley. And yeah, I got pretty emotional, particularly with Harry not being there and, yeah. and uh, you know, all those things. So I was accidentally we actually work with a guy that was on that team on the um, the Cubs team that won it. Matt Caesar. I don't remember if you remember him, but he's mm -hmm. an artist. Um, but I was actually in Chicago the day of the parade. I was there oh, for, wow. for an art conference and it was hysterical. Cause like my hotel was like right in the middle of the city and everybody was at the parade. So it's like pulled right in, parked oh, yeah. my car and, and checked in the hotel and then walked down to the parade. And it was just like bonkers. Like mm -hmm. it was just in, I mean, it was like being at an Ohio state football game. It was like probably more, I mean, it was obviously more people than that, but it, it was, it was a sight to behold. I actually felt really lucky to have, to have been there. But so like, that is interesting. Like I, like I always wonder, um, cause there's certain announcers that like kind of in, in their, in their announcing days, they kind of, you know, like give away their allegiances, uh, to, unless you're calling for a specific team, like you obviously have that allegiance to that team, but you know, like the, the Cubs thing, I think Dan Patrick is pretty adamant about like, he has no, even though he grew up in Cincinnati, like, you know, deep down he's probably Cincinnati fan but like just to remove those those teams you grow up loving uh is is just gone so do you do anything like like growing up like it sounds like your family was extraordinarily like um physically active any like creative like whether it's music or art or anything like that just out of curiosity you know what's interesting is, uh, you know, despite the fact that I've spent probably thousands of hours on the air using my voice, I am the least musically inclined person <laughs> in the world. Uh, my wife is sitting right over here, just off Zoom. She'd be happy to come over and tell you that I am the world's worst singer. But I assume you love music. You probably been to Reckless do, Kelly yeah. before with. Party. I love music. Music just doesn't love me back. Uh, <laughs> Uh, no, my mom actually is uh, very artistic. She used to have a company, a gift company called Yours, Mine, and Ours uh, that she founded with her best friend and turned into this million-dollar wholesale company where it was just kind of uh, not all religious, but, you know, kind of homey type um, sayings and, you know, expressions and cute drawings and whatever. And they actually toured all over the place going to craft shows and uh well, art shows or they'd call them and they had a big setup in the big suburban and we'd have to go help set up and tear down. And so we were kind of carnies for a while and they just unleash us, my brother and sister and I on these places. You know, I can remember we, we, we knew uh, step by step the routine of the Omaha cloggers who were <laughs> a wood shoe kind of like tap group out of Omaha, obviously. Yeah. Uh, there was a hypnotist that we knew was full of it. Um, so yeah. Uh, you know, I, I do remember that I was in choir, um, in seventh grade and this is when i realized that i was terrible because we had we were like practicing the one song and people had singing parts and then this i don't remember what the song was but part of it was just like you just made the sounds that the instruments were making so my part was like mm -pa, mm -pa. I'm like all right i'm out of here so you had to be in either band or um choir and i'm just like i band was not an option could not like understand reading music or whatever didn't want to be in choir. So somehow my dad pulled some strings and me and one other, me and one other kid who was not musically inclined, they let us go to the home ec room every day when there was music time and we would just brown ground beef every day and then eat it. 
<laughs> so you're a chef is what you're saying. <laughs> I did during the pandemic take up cooking quite there a bit. There you go. Uh -huh. See? Yeah. Pandemic, I think, created a lot of uh, a lot of creative people. I see. I always say everybody's creative. It's just finding what what it is, what your outlet is. You know, I mean, you as a yeah. as as somebody that uh, being an announcer, you're creative because you're like you're. I don't want to say you're problem solving, but you're like on the on your toes and having to like respond to things, which is the same as being a painter or something like that. To me, like uh, you know, I always equate equate that so all right we're going to the party questions of the the uh right. <laughs> so be prepared there's three questions here did you ever wait did parney ever hire you in richmond or did you call and tell him when you were coming <laughs> that's only one we have three questions well i remember where i was standing i was i was working for the montgomery biscuits and we were in mississippi playing the mississippi braves which is in the middle of nowhere uh, Mississippi. And I'm just like, I'd heard they were going into Richmond, him and Chuck Domino and another couple people that I knew. And yeah, I just called him. And I said, when should I be there? Cause I need to get out of here. And, and I'm definitely going to be a part of that. And then he called me back a couple days later and he's like, I can offer you X thousand dollars to come, which was not a big X, but I'm like, that's cool. I'll be there October one. <laughs> Minor league baseball payment. That's how it is all the time. Okay. What, what what animal did Parney bring to your bachelor party? I don't even know if I want to know this one. <laughs> yeah, you do. <laughs> it was a lion, uh, it was a giant stuffed lion. I don't. Oh, he was okay. coming down with Jay Burnham. I thought this was like a, I thought this was like a hangover scenario when he brought an actual lion. <laughs> <laughs> no, he brought the lion. I think he paid like a hundred bucks for it at some truck stop. Uh, and we made the lion the mascot of the bachelor party. Eventually, he was uh, handcuffed to a case of beer on the counter and ultimately made it back to my apartment. And when we were moving from Blacksburg to Richmond and we were telling the movers, my wife finally said, you know what? Here's a list of things you can throw away. Uh, the lion was on there. So he didn't make it back to Richmond. All right. And last but not least, how many post-game Bud Lights did you drink at with Parney together during your time together that's oh, not a number see. they can even be let's see 71 home games <laughs> yeah, <I know> so. <laughs> uh, 700 a year times six well carry the two hundred yeah five thousand <laughs> <laughs> conservative estimates yeah. now, now we're going to be sponsored by bud light thank you bud light for your time and um so maybe you know like kind of a last couple comment questions but like what do you like 10 year plan like what's what's kind of the goals for for um for what you're doing yeah again i, I think we're going to make a lot of mistakes as we set out here as any company or any nonprofit would um and we're going to feel out I, I think that being in richmond will help us mitigate some of those mistakes just off the relationships that we have with people that have more expertise in what we're attempting to do. And we've already seen that guidance. So, you know, as I mentioned earlier, we were starting in Hanover High School uh, or Hanover Public Schools uh, directly funneling money. They're kind of out front of some of these mental health initiatives, but are just poor, really poorly funded, not Hanover as a whole, but just mental health. You know, as we talked about the conversation and the number of people that struggle has risen. Um, you know, funding hasn't risen as quickly. It's not an indictment on anybody. It's just the way it is. Um, so we, we directly want to get in and do that. Um, and then we want to expand um, to other schools once we show the success with that. 
um, to Henrico, to Chesterfield, to wherever is it's most needed. Um, in terms of our branding um, and me, you know, people keep saying, when are you going to be back on the air? When are you going to be back in the booth? And, and eventually I'll do some of that um, in the not too short term. But I also really badly want to use, um, you know, the God-given talents that I have speaking. I'd, I'd really love to start speaking and traveling and spreading that message and ultimately turning the Ladybug Society into a symbol. You know, you're wearing one of the shirts, you're wearing a hat, or you got one of our event shirts, you're at one of our events. It means that, you know, you support that conversation to end the stigma. Um, and ambitiously, I've always been a massive thinker. Um, you know, I'd love to, in 10 years, turn it, turn it into one of the most impactful nonprofits in the country. And I know that's exceptionally ambitious, but as they say, uh, shoot for the moon, land in the stars. And if we do that, um, we'll probably help a ton of people. And, you know, I also want to write a few books, some of them about this, some of them about just crazy Parney stories and rising through, uh, you know, athletics and the bus rides and, and all those things. So he's kind of stepping aside from the minutia of grinding it out eight to nine every day um, with a lot of those things. And back to your point, giving us the opportunity to be creative. Um, and that's the coolest thing about this is that I think we had a leg up. I know we do starting out just because my experience with promotion and zaniness and all of those things and risk-taking, um, you know, I think will be more out of the box than some of the other nonprofits. You know, I'm not, if we do host a golf tournament, it's going to look more like Caddyshack too. Uh, and, uh, you know, I would like your, to be a part of that, by the way. Yeah. So, you know, in the short term, we want to, Richmond is such a wonderful place with uh, people that love to get out and be active, but in, in creative ways, you know, pickleball is a huge craze. It's the fastest growing sport. So that's our first event, but we also want to do, you know, kickball and wiffle ball and some of the other, you know, sillier stuff that everybody can compete in, but you can also get, pretty competitive, um, you know, cornhole. <laughs> well, I think, back. like, I mean, for me, like one of the things I was thinking about the other day in, in preparing is like thinking there's definitely like collaborative things that, you know, we can do together as well. Um, I think, you know, cause we, we touch obviously with the mental health stuff and we come at it from a different way that you do in some ways, but there's overlap and love to like work together and, and, and help help in, in whatever way that we can, you know, um, and, and to be honest with you, you know, it's like, we're getting ready to launch subscription boxes. You know, we could throw a sticker of yours in there, you know, yeah. like just different stuff just to help, help each other out. Because I think at the end of the day, you know, I can tell from, you know, from reading about it and from hearing what you're saying is like, you just want to help people. And, and that's what we want to do too. Like, it's just like, I, I want to make, people better, better off, uh, you know, uh, and it sounds arrogant, like, but I just, I want, <laughs> I want them to have better, better lives. And, and, yeah. you know, if, and I think you do as well. And I think that that's, it's, it's a lot to like to absorb. Um, but it's important. Like, you know, that's, that's why I said, like at the beginning, it's, I think what you're doing is, is so selfless for one, because in some ways, like, you know, like, you said like being an announcer is a dream job, but at the same time, like this is also a dream job. And, and I feel like I'm doing more impactful things this way than making a call at a football game or a basketball game. And it's like, and that's like, that's really, really selfless. And um, I just think it's important. I appreciate you saying that. I, I think again, one of the realizations I had when 
my dad passed was that my ambitions had always been very selfish. Um, nothing wrong with that. You know, no. everybody has, and you have to be, you know, you've got to look out for yourself and you've got to financially support yourself and, you know, your family. Um, and I was able to do that through broadcasting, but, you know, it was about me, right. I was hoping for the team to have that magical moment, um, not necessarily for them or for the fans, but so I could make that iconic call and they could associate it with me. Um, you know, and what I realized was that, you know, although I had far eclipsed my dad's fame, just because, you know, you don't get famous as an addiction counselor. He, he is within that world. Trust me, he's, uh, you know, deified in a lot of ways. Um, but I wasn't maximizing my entire skill set. And to, in order to do that, it needed to be more selfless in terms of, um, you know, there's still going to be some, yeah, we want to be a huge nonprofit and we want to be, we want to make bigger impact than anybody else. Like, cause I'm a competitive ass person, Ron. I really <laughs> am. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> Me too. My wife. Um, but, but in this aim, you know, the more success that we have, the more people that we can help. So it, it's, it's kind of fun, but uh, not kind of, it's a, it's a lot of fun and it's a lot of fun, not knowing kind of going back to, uh, the purity of things, you know, sports to me really became a job at the end and, you know, just going to the park and playing pickleball and <laughs> getting my butt kicked while I learned the game. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a lot of fun for us, you know, yeah. doing the simple act of reserving a PO box at the UPS store, uh, you know, just it reminds me of when we started the squirrels and we didn't have anything. Yeah. And now to see all the things that they've been able to do and what they have, uh, you know, that's not a direct model, but uh, we're hoping it'll take off in a similar way. Yeah. Well, man, I like, thank you. Like, cause this, uh, again, like I've been really wanting to, to do this. I remember reaching out to Parney and going, Hey, I need John's like number because yeah. I want to, I want to talk to him because again, I just think, uh, you're going to, you're, you're, you already have, but you're going to make such amazing impact and, um, just really excited for you. Uh, because I think, um, like I said, I, you know, like, I'll just keep saying it, like, it's such a selfless thing. And I think it's, you're, you're, it's giving back and it's just a huge, huge thing that I think you're doing. And, you know, to say thank you, it is only one person, but I do say thank you. Like, cause I think I do, I, at the end of the day, I think if we had more people like acting like this, uh, we'd just be, to be a better world. It's, I, you know, I mean, like you said, I mean, we're all, we're all selfish people. I'm still selfish. Like I, in, in certain ways. And I think we're all selfish in some ways, but I think that, you know, like the, 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 the ability to, to give back and, and, and to change, other people's lives. It's, it's invaluable. So I, I really do say thank you because I think it's, it's amazing. And one last question, because I always need to ask this, what kind of music, because I always put different music to every episode. I either, sometimes I use my old band's music. Sometimes I just write shit, but um, what kind of mu <laughs> what kind of music do you like? Well, I'm going to tell you, I, I listen to uh, everything, honestly, but, you know, I lately I've been reverting to, you know, Eric Church and some of the country. Maybe that was a result okay. of living in Blacksburg. <laughs> uh, but my biggest guilty pleasure and my favorite artist, honestly, is uh, Pink. Wow. Um, so if you put, yeah. uh, I just think. I can't use her music because we have to, we'd have to pay for it, but I can figure out style wise, I can write something. Well, her song of her latest album, My Attic, is you know, the way she writes songs, you can tell that she has some of her own mental health yep. uh, things in my attic is basically my attic. It's her mind. Essentially. Yep. It's what she's talking about. Um, so a lot of her songs 
they really hit home. But if you can't get her, uh, you know, Eric Church, um, God, what's the name of the song? Um, I'll have to write, I'll have to just write something, something like in the genre of the song because using (laughs) using other people's music, unfortunately, is a no no. Um, unless we, (laughs) unless we end up paying for, you know, until we're like fully, fully funded, I'm not even trying that world, but, um, but yeah, no, that's, that's cool. Like, but no, I did, I like, I look forward to, uh, uh, a beer or two at, uh, Parney's pub as baseball season's getting ready to start here. Thank God. Real baseball too. Um, (laughs) I was, I was going to be real as a Met fan with the pitching staff that they have and, and they were not going to have a season. I was going to be extraordinarily upset and i appreciate the fact by the way that you call your first game you called it virginia tech was against oh, yeah. against my boys so um so yeah those old paul keels comes in he's like can you show me where the press box is <laughs> the national he's got he's got the voice you know that. Um, he, that, yeah, the voice of god and i'm yeah. like yeah here's my high school graduation <laughs> ring you're over there <laughs> well dude no thank you I, again man this is this is actually a, a real blast doing this and and um like i said it was kind of fun researching and and kind of digging in the weeds about you and um like i said it's it look forward to having a beer this will be out a couple weeks i'll i'll send you um some like video snips and uh, a couple pics to share about if you want so awesome man. but really appreciate cool. it thank yeah you. man be well talk to you soon all right bye really really had such a great time talking with john just have so much you know just incredible respect for everything he's doing like we said you know dreams change and i think he and his wife are really carving out a meaningful important and impactful path again you can follow john on instagram and twitter at l-a-z-e-p-x-p you can also follow lasers ladybug society on instagram and twitter at l-a-a-s-e-r-s-l-a-d-y-b-u-g-s a reminder to check out the other podcasts on the abstract athlete network the abstract doctors podcast and one man's ethos the tony mandridge podcast thank you for listening to the abstract athlete podcast stop by our website theabstractathlete.com and our social media outlets for future events and news thank you again we will see you next week and as always do not forget to exercise the body and do not forget to exercise the mind stay well out there it's a play.